It's Coffee O'Clock and it brings me great pleasure and joy to welcome you to Coffee with the Counselor's first podcast. My name is Simon. I'm a wife, relationship and connection specialist, marriage blogger and daughter of God. I love relationships, so I'm very excited to be sharing about relationships over a good cup of coffee with you today. My cup is steaming and I hope yours is too. Welcome to my first podcast, Find Your Tribe. This podcast is going to consist of a two-part series. Part one, why do we need to find our tribe? And part two, how to find our tribe. So today we're looking at why do we need to find a tribe? I regard myself as a recovering perfectionist and an aspiring good enoughist. Throughout my life, my self-esteem and my value has often been defined by how others around me were perceiving and receiving me. For most of my life, good enough was equated with perfect. I would only be good enough. The task would only be good enough. The outfit would only be good enough if it was perfect and if I was perfect. I would only have value in a space, in a relationship, if I was perfect. And this really set me up for a great disappointment and very low self-esteem. I became overly preoccupied with how I was doing in my relationships. Did they like me? Are they upset because of me? Did I say something wrong? Imagine these questions bouncing around your head all day. It's exhausting. And I know that I'm not the only one out there who's ever had thoughts like these. So what is self-esteem? Self-esteem is different to self-image and self-concept. Self-concept is who am I? What is my identity? But self-esteem is what is my attitude toward who I am? Do I have a favorable or unfavorable attitude towards who I am? Because my self-esteem became grounded in perfection, I don't know if many people would believe that I had an unfavorable attitude towards who I am because I always presented and packaged myself as not having self-esteem issues because perfection doesn't have self-esteem issues, right? But over the course of my lifetime, there've been great peaks and declines in my self-esteem in my attitude towards who I am. And because my self-esteem was based on external factors, it really depended on how the world around me was receiving me in order for me to be able to decide if I was having great self-esteem or a negative decline in my self-esteem. I found belonging in being a leader in school, in being a high achiever, in the scores on my report card, in being known as being Miss Perfect. The challenge is when I was stripped of these privileges, when I moved into the next chapter of my life, I felt like a fish out of water. My coping mechanism would be to push more into my perfectionist tendencies, perfectly packaging myself always, every detail of my outfit in place, planned a week in advance. Fashion has always been a way for me to express myself creatively, to explore trends and unleash an inner playfulness. And to this day, I still love planning outfits. So that's not what the problem is. The problem was my attention to detail was coming from a place of needing to look perfect because I didn't feel perfect inside. I was using clothes and styling as an outlet, as a way to mask the insecurities I was feeling inside. The insecurity that I didn't belong, the fear that I wouldn't find my place. What unhealthy outlets do you use to cope with your insecurities? Perhaps substances, casual sex, alcohol, humor, throwing yourself into work, medications, unhealthy relationships. 
What are the ways you avoid facing your insecurities and avoid healthy relationships with yourself and with those around you? At our core, we have an innate need to connect to others. I believe that we were created to live in community, to encourage and be encouraged by one another. I believe we were created to be relational beings. Why do I believe this? Because God made us this way, because He is a relational God, and we are made in His image, and He desires to be in relationship with us. Our need to belong is a God-sized innate need within each one of us. I think we use the past experience of rejection, hurts, fear to justify the wall of isolation we build around us. Not always are those walls built to keep others out, but sometimes to keep us, our vulnerability, our fears. And it is time for us to break down these walls and build bridges in their place. The monster of perfection that I had created was no longer serving me. The more I know about identity and the self, the more I see the importance of community. Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs is one of the most popular models across a range of disciplines. In this model, Maslow describes that at the foundational level, the bottom of the triangle, our basic instinct is to survive. We need food, water, and shelter. The next level, the second level, is made up of our safety needs, safety and security. Our third level comprises of our social needs like family, affection, relationships, work groups, community. This is where our belonging lives. The fourth level comprises of what are called your egocentric needs like self-esteem, reputation, achievement. And finally, the very top of the triangle, the top tier, is what we're all striving for, and that is self-actualization, that sense of meaning and fulfillment in life. Now, this model captures my attention in two ways. Firstly, what I love about it is that we cannot look at the self without looking at the other. We cannot talk self-esteem, which is level four, without considering community and belonging, which is level three. For someone who's had to work hard to grow in my self-esteem, this is life-changing stuff. Secondly, where I think Maslow might have underestimated our social need for belonging and community, is that while he places food, water, air as the bottom, the base, the foundation of the triangle, he says that that is what is imperative for our survival. And yes, perhaps on a physical level, we need food, water, and air. But I actually believe that belonging and community is what we need to survive. I believe that connection is a prerequisite to us surviving physically, spiritually, and emotionally. This is exactly why I specialized in relationship therapy, because we are constantly in relationship with something in our system. The joys, the sorrow, the fulfillment, the heartbreak that comes from being in relationship with others defines often how we feel or who we think we are. In individual therapy, I focus on how people have been wounded in their, in their relationships with others, but also how fundamentally people can be healed through their relationships with others. And that's what I love about my couple work. Looking back in my own life, 
I can see how God used a number of people, friendships, family, mentorships, opportunities, failures and successes to refine this need for perfection in me over the years. Without my bedazzled rose-tinted glasses, I saw how my insecurities were impacting my relationship with those closest to me, my relationship with God, my relationship with myself. And so I began this lengthy, emotional, spiritual journey of working on my self-esteem. I had spent so long trying to be perfect according to society's standards of perfection that I robbed myself the opportunity to get to know the Simi that God designed by hand and called me by name. I was so focused on how others perceived me that I devalued how God sees me. Since my first year in university, God, my master weaver, began to weave my life into his great purpose in two fundamental ways. Firstly, he revealed to me who I was in his eyes. My insecurities weren't tangled around my neck for everyone to see. As I said, I was perfectly packaged. People may not have thought I was feeling insecure, but my insecurities were tangled around my heart for God to see. Despite how totally unkind and sinful I'd been in the way I spoke of myself, treated myself, self-deprecating words, punishing myself, self-sabotaging, none of this could reverse the simple truth that I am a child of God. Truly, these words have been my saving grace. When feelings of insecurity overwhelm me, I remind myself of this truth and I look for times when I've seen it to be true in my life. Why do we so easily focus on what we don't have instead of what we have been given? We look at others and we say, I don't have what she or he has. I'm not as pretty, I'm not as smart, I'm not as fit, I'm not as toned, I don't cook like her, I don't keep a job like her, I don't tell a joke like her, I don't, I don't write like she does, I don't have what it takes. We see the obstacles and we see that there are many. We question our calling, we question why us, we question at times why we may have even been born. Now, you may be inclined to write down all the things you don't have and to run back into your place of safety. For me, putting on heaps of makeup when I was younger, never a detail out of place, became my safe place. Without it, there was no simi, is what I felt. I'd begun to fear imperfection, fear failure, fear getting it wrong, fear not being loved. Fear that I would be forgotten if I wasn't perfect. But if I'm striving for perfection, what is the message I'm sending to those around me? It says that I will only accept perfection from them too. Over the course of the past few months, I've been reading a devotional called The 52 Women in the Bible. I'm struck in many ways by how relatable their strives and struggles are to me as a woman today. I am struck by how ordinary, unqualified, sinful they were. And yet chosen and anointed by God. They didn't look at what they didn't have to offer, but they courageously stepped into what they'd been given. The more I drew closer to God and walked with Him, the more comfortable I felt in my skin. 
We have to take our eyes off what we don't have to freely give what we do have. Now, the second fundamental way God wove life back into my perfect threads that were no longer serving me is through the gift of community. Innate within each of us is our need to belong to a family community, a spiritual community, sports community, social community, woman community. It's not about the number of people within the group, but rather about membership to a group of like-minded people. A group, a community that you are committed to, that you can invest in. We weren't made to be alone. After God created Adam, he said there was one thing that was not good, and that was for Adam to be alone. God then created Eve, and Adam and Eve were the first human community. They lived in perfect community with each other and with God. They were fully known by God and one another. From the start, we were made to be in community with God and others. Our relationships impact our sense of who we are and how we feel about ourselves. In turn, this impacts the kind of relationships, the length of relationships that we desire and attract. Belonging offers reassurance that we're not alone. It's that me too feeling. Belonging and nurturing healthy bonds helps us to find meaning. Now, the pursuit of meaning is different from the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of meaning comes from contributing to other people, whereas the pursuit of happiness comes from what they can contribute to you. And perhaps that's why we never feel like we fully have pursued true happiness, at least not for a long period of time. I attended a women's conference recently. Have you ever had a message or a word revealed to you through someone else that feels like it shifts and heals something inside of you? Well, it happened at this conference for me. My healing word was honeypot. Yes, honeypot. An elder's wife introduced the morning session with a loud and clear message from God. He wanted her to talk about honeypots. And the more she interpreted this as honey, the more God emphasized the word honeypot. Each of us are a honeypot. Fragile, empty, and breakable. But there is great purpose in a honeypot. It holds honey. God is my sweet, pure, healing, transformational honey. This revelation challenged how I was walking through life, how I engaged with myself and those around me. It made me question, what kind of honeypot am I being to those around me? An empty honeypot waiting for them to fill me? Or a full honeypot ready and willing to fill them? Was it God-like honey or more like overly processed fake honey that I was allowing to fill my honeypot? Now, I want you to have a chance to apply this to your life. You're going to need yourself and a cup. If you're in a crowded space, put your headphones on. If you're alone, listen on full blast. I want you to take your cup for me. And I'm just going to slow this process down for us. I want you to look at your cup. I want you to touch it. Run your hands down the cup. This cup is a container, a holder, a vessel, a honeypot. It has a purpose. Without this cup, we wouldn't be able to hold and sip 
the goodness and sweetness within. The cup is like your body. Now what a gift it is to have a body that can move, run, jump, bend and be used. Within each of your cups, you will find goodness. Mine at the moment has coffee inside. Perhaps yours has tea, hot chocolate, water. Now the liquid inside the cup, it has a flow. As you move your cup around, you will see it move. If you had to lift it to your lips, there would be a taste, a texture, an intensity, a quality to it. It has a rhythm. Liquid has a way of flowing, and that's what, mean, what I mean by it having a rhythm. Inside each of you, there is a flow, a rhythm, passion, interest, desire, beliefs, yearnings. Now, this cup will be a holder, even if the liquid inside run, runs dry. And it will run dry if we don't top it up. For those of us that have many a time come to leave our cups of tea, cups of coffee cold, it doesn't quite taste the same as that warm cup of coffee. But when you get to the bottom of that cup, there's often that res residual liquid, the residue. And if you taste that, it tastes quite bitter. And that's often what happens to us, is that we don't top up our cups enough with the sweetness and with goodness. And so we may not always feel totally empty, but that residual layer at the bottom of our cup is what we might be tasting and what others might be tasting of us. And it tastes bitter. Cups of coffee, as we know, are best enjoyed with a friendly face shared with someone else, perhaps even over a podcast like this, knowing that there is someone else listening gives me that experience of joy as I create this. So somehow when we share something like a cup of coffee, it just seems to taste better. But once our cups start interacting with other cups around us, after you've had them for a while, you'll start noticing that they get a few cracks and breaks. They become a little dull over time. Sometimes they have staining inside the cup. Now, much like that, life can be harsh. It's, it can be hard. It can be hurtful. We, our bodies, our emotions, our beliefs, our yearnings, can experience knocks and breaks and cracks. And when these holes, cracks appear, the sweetness and goodness that we're trying to put in does pour out. And the more holes there are, the quicker it pours out. Now I'm of the opinion that we repair things. So in in my fridge, there's a nice little section just for super glue for all the things that I like to fix rather than buying new. So there are parts of, of our cups that we can repair and we can fix. And this helps to stop some of the leaking so that it doesn't pour out as quickly. But other times, 
we can't repair the cracks and holes. Sometimes in our own lives, the action, the disappointment, the rejection that we experienced was just too big. It was just too harsh. And we begin to, to live, survive, as cups, holders, vessels that are imperfect. We have irreparable dents to all of us. But I want you to know that that's okay. We all have a few cracks and breaks and dents. We're all imperfect. We are imperfect vessels. But instead of seeing it that way, see the holes or the breaks or the dents as allowing for your goodness, your sweetness, your honey to pour out into the cups of others, into the world around you. It's important to be mindful that sometimes the other cups, the other people that we pour our goodness, sweetness in, sometimes they're not going to pour back into our cups. But there will be cups, there will be people, there will be communities, there will be relationships who do pour back into your cup. I want you to think about when do you feel like a blessing or a gift to those around you? What brings you into relationship, into community with others? Where do you feel you belong? For me, growing in my self-esteem was about unlearning, excavating what had become buried under people's opinions, inaccurate taglines I told myself since I was young. These taglines had become inaccurate beliefs of who I was. I wrote all of these down. And for each one, I asked myself the same two important questions. How is this thought serving me? How is this thought serving me to think about myself this way? And secondly, what is it robbing me of thinking about myself in this negative way? I so desire to be shaped and used by God. I continue to give him every shattered piece of my honey pot. I start emptying myself of what no longer serves me so that I can be better used to pour his love into the lives of others. I want you to know that this is a journey. Favorably seeing yourself, favorably valuing yourself, investing in, serving in, belonging in communities is a journey. It's not a quick fix. And I'm still so much on that journey. But I hope that you know that from this podcast, I hope you are reminded that you are a vessel of honor, a vessel of beauty, wrapped in purpose, not in your position, not in the position that was given to you by another or by society or by yourself. I hope you know that there are people who believe in the power and the beauty of your message and your mission. I want to thank you for listening in to Coffee with the Counselor's first podcast. Next time, we're going to be focusing on how do we go about finding this tribe. 
And I so look forward to sharing my cup of coffee with you again.